second week of our fast uh, that we're doing, 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so, uh, so anyway, there's a bunch of people who are fasting here at the church. I've heard all, all kinds of uh, reports from people about how God is uh, really speaking to people's lives, about how it's tough to fast, about how, uh, how they're getting a lot out of it, all the different things that are going on. So give it up for the people who are fasting right now. We just, it's awesome. Great decision. And actually, I thought, because we've only got one week left, I thought we'd open up the, this, this part of the service right now, just praying over those people who are fasting and asking God just to move in a powerful way in their lives. So why don't we bow our heads? Father, thank you so much for all the individuals who decided that during this, this time of their life right now, that they would take this time and set aside so many things to focus on you. God, I just ask that in this last week of their time of prayer and fasting, that you reveal yourself in a brand new way to them. God, the questions that they had or the reasons why they were fasting that they laid out at the beginning of this, God, I pray that you speak to them and give them the answers and the direction that they're looking for. God, give them the ability to persevere for seven more days. God, we pray that you, uh, you provide strength and resilience and, and provision for them through this next seven days. And God, that, that at the end of this, they really feel uh, and, and truly have experienced you. They really feel like it was worthwhile and feel like it was something where you spoke volumes to their heart about their lives, their situations, and their future. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen. Okay, so we are in the middle of this series, uh, Moving Past Your Past. I'm not going to end it today. I'm going to end it uh, next week, and so, so we'll, uh, I'll bring it all together then. But I want to talk about uh, how, how we're actually going to move past our past. Today, I'm going to, uh, to talk an, about another area that we need to work on in actually making it happen. I'm going to talk about our focus. Everybody say focus. All right, so I'm going to get to that partway through my message, but I want to start by doing a little bit of a recap for you. Um, we started this series by looking at how the Apostle Paul said that we should, uh, we should forget about our past or let go of our past, and we should look forward or press onward towards the future that God has for us. So, um, I would, so we just need to let it go, right? So I would like all of you in this moment to sing that line from the Disney movie, let, let, or Frozen, Let It Go, on three. Everybody sing it, let it go, like that, okay? One, two, three. Notice I didn't sing with you today. It was horrible. Uh, no, it was great. You guys are awesome. Uh, thank you for being, being team players. So he explains that in order to reach the goals that God has for our life, we can't let our past weigh us down. And we can't let our past define what our future looks like. And this seems really obvious. The only problem is, is we don't do this. Most people in some way or another, are allowing things that happened in their past to dictate what their future looks like. It's like those uh, mistakes or uh, things that happened, whether it's painful or it was abuse or it was a sin or whatever it was. It's like it's latched onto us. And every time we try to look forward to our future, we just can't seem to, to let those things go in order to let us move where we need to. And uh, so Paul explains this, and that's what we talked about in week one, is that he says we gotta, we got to let those things go in order to, to get there. And it's not just the mistakes that you make. For some people, it's your incredible ability or the accolades that you have in your past that are the things that are keeping you from your future. Because when you think about your future, you think about how you can do it, how you're going to do it, how your ability is the, is the thing that's going to get you to your future. And that actually can get in the way of, of you listening to what God wants for your future. And so Paul says, no matter what it is, whether it's pain of the past or success of the past, we have to be willing to let it go 
so that, so that we can get to the future. So I was thinking about this as I was writing this message. Uh, it just popped into my head. I thought, like, I wonder, um, I wonder of all the millionaires in the world, because everybody would love to be a millionaire, or most people think they would love to be a millionaire. Of all the millionaires in the world, I wonder how many of them have gone bankrupt, right? So believe it or not, I mean, you believe it, they're, they're, these stats are out there. And so I looked it up, and on average, on average, for every, every millionaire, every average millionaire in the world today has gone back bankrupt on average three and a half times in their life. Three and a half times. Like, don't you think after the first time they went bankrupt, they could have easily said, well, clearly I'm a failure at finance, right? <laughs> clearly I don't know what I'm doing in business. Or clearly, I don't know how to manage my money or control my spending or whatever it is. And they could have easily said, because I'm so bad at this, I'm not going to try to make it again. Why? I mean, if I, if I can't do it one time, why would I try to do that again, right? You know, we all want to be millionaires. Or most people think, oh, I wish I had more money to do this or more money to do that. But the fact of the matter is, is a lot of us, if we, if we lived the same way we do with our pains of our past... We would have one bankruptcy and say, I can't do this anymore, and I'm never going to be able to do it again. But they don't do that. No, they, they, they have a bankruptcy, and they think, okay, now I'm going to create a plan, and I know where I want to go, and I'm going to create a new plan, and I'm going to make a million dollars again. And they do. And the average one goes bankrupt a couple more times again, and then after that, they, again, they say, I'm going to go again. They don't let their past control their future. And, and so we, that's a you know, a worldly example, but why in our lives do we allow things that happen in our past to control what happens in the next day, you know, in the next month, in the next year? So um, in week two, we started talking about how we exactly can make the change to let go of our past. Because it's easy, it's easy for us to say, oh, you need to stop hanging on your past. But it's a lot more difficult when the rubber meets the road, isn't it? And so we, we actually changed gears to talk about how we actually do that. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. Before I do, let's bow our heads and ask God to lead our time together. Father, thank you so much for every person here. God, I just pray that today as we get into your word that you speak to our hearts. God, for some of us, I pray that we have some moments of conviction where we're motivated to change our lives. God, for some of us, I, I pray that we get a new vision for the direction of our lives. And God, I pray for some of us, we find solutions to the things that we're hung up on. God, I pray that you're speaking tonight and that, that we have ears that hear and hearts that understand and minds that desire to live like you and to live for you. And God, help me to get out of the way so that tonight's, tonight's time together can be all about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so the first key here is what I've had you write down every single week is this. If you're going to change your daily routine has to change as well. You can't wake up tomorrow and do the same thing you've been doing every day of your entire life and expect things to be different. You've got to get up and you've got to change. Okay, so, uh, so then that second week, the, the day we started this whole what do we actually do, I challenge you by saying that the, the words you say have to change. So when you wake up in the morning, you can't say the same things. You can't think the same things. Because the things you say in your head to yourself will dictate the way your day is. If you wake up in the morning and you say, hey, you know what, I'm a failure. I, I never do well at work. I always struggle with relationships with people. You know what you're going to experience when you, when you get into the middle of your day? 
all those failures, all those struggles with relationships, all those problems at work. If you wake up in the morning and you use your words to tell your kids how bad they are, don't be surprised when you get a call from the school about how your kid is struggling because you are, you're giving them the identity of a kid that has problems or who's bad. And, and you know, a lot of people use that, that phrase, sticks and stones, you know, can break my bones. And what it should finish with really is, and words can destroy me. Because sticks and stones, they hurt. You can get beat up, but words do have the power to destroy you. And, and that's what God says when he says that there's the power of death and life in the tongue. Our words have a lot of power. And uh, Rick Warren, the, the big like leadership, spiritual guru, pastor, um, he wrote this. He, this is his quote. He says, the way you think determines the way you feel. And the way you feel determines the way you act. If you want to change the way you act, you must begin with the way you think. Your thoughts are the autopilot of your life. Isn't that a great quote? Your thoughts are the autopilot of your life. So when you wake up in the morning, the way you talk to yourself will affect the way you live that day. And then last week we talked about your actions. Everybody say actions. See, what I really wanted to explain last week is that, that being a Christian, becoming a Christian, is not always easy. It's not really an easy thing. And even Jesus explained that to us. He said that, uh, remember he says that the, the road, that the wide road is easily traveled, right? But it's one that leads to destruction. And he says to be a Christ follower, you can't walk down that wide, easy road. You're going to walk down a narrow path. Everybody say narrow. And that narrow path is going to be more difficult. And there's probably going to be some bumps along the way. And it's going to be a, a little bit rocky. And so, so this is what what Jesus says, and so I was thinking about that, like what does that really mean? What does it mean that there's a narrow path that you're going to have to walk, that it's going to be harder? And I think what it really means is that sometimes you're going to have to make choices that are hard and, and choices that, that are going to be difficult for you to, to walk through. And so as I got thinking about those, I thought, well, I should just make like a list of like some of those hard choices. So I'm going to give you some examples of what I think hard choices are that Jesus is asking you to walk down or to, to do in your life in order to change, to follow him. So here's, uh, here's my list. First one is this. I think we need to change things like, uh, like changing the people that we're close with if they're bad influences on us. And I know every time I say that, because I do that probably a couple times a year in messages, I talk about how we need to change our friends, right? And how we need to have the right influences around us. People are like, you, are you telling me that I shouldn't be friends with my friends anymore? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling you, okay? Like, exactly. And, and then people go, what, well, what if they're my family? Well, they'll always be your family members. But you don't have to be as close to them as you are right now if they're keeping you from moving towards the future that God has for you. And I know that's hard, but I never said it was going to be easy. God never said it was going to be easy, right? So uh, the, another one here is things you need to change is quitting uh, some addictive things that you're doing that are sinful, that are holding you back from being able to be used by God. Um, another one here is, is that we need to learn to be men and women of our word. When you say you're going to do something or when you give your word to somebody, it needs to matter. You need to be a person of integrity. And there's a, lot, there's a struggle with this in the world today. We need, to, we need to be people of integrity. Another one is you need to control your tongue. You need to be careful what you say about other people and about yourself. Another one, and I think this goes for people who are single and who are married, is that you need to have purity in your relationships. I'm talking about 
you know, sexual immorality. I'm talking about affairs. I'm talking about emotional things. I'm all of that. Like those are things that we need to work on. We need to get our, our, our get figured out. So all of these things are hard, aren't they? Yes. The answer is everyone say yes. Are you alive tonight? Okay. (laughs) Third service, I said, all of these things are hard, right? And some person went, nope. I was like, you're a liar. (laughs) Yes, they are. I said right from stage. I don't know who it was, but they got called a liar in church. (laughs) They are hard. Sometimes it's hard to be a man of your word. Sometimes when you're falling in love with somebody, it's hard to be pure. Sometimes when you're addicted to something, it's hard to stop. And sometimes when people who are bad influences are your family, it's hard to get away. But it's worth it. Because what we read in the Word is that there's a reward behind your, obe- your obedience to God. There's a reward. So last week, like I said, I made... Uh, the statement that being a Christian isn't easy, okay? And, uh, and so I'll tell you a story, because I like stories. Uh, I even said this. I said, I said this statement. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that being a Christian would be easy. And, uh, and so as, well, actual ex- experience would happen, I get in the car, and I look at, my wife looks at me, and she goes, you're wrong. And I'm like, excuse me? And she's like, you're wrong. How many know that wives are good at, good at that, calling out your mistakes, right? Yeah, you and me, we're on the same page, right? So uh, I'm like, what? And she's like, uh, it took me about three seconds to find a scripture that said that it was supposed to be easy. And I was like, really? So you know me, like, I've, I've messed up before. And when somebody's, when somebody's come to me with scripture to prove that I was wrong, I get up here on the stage and I say, guys, I was wrong. And I'll just tell you that uh, today... If I was wrong, I would say so, and I will not say so. No, she, uh, this is the scripture she brought to me, and I'll explain. Matthew eleven thirty. Jesus himself says, my yoke is easy. The word is literally spelled out. You don't even have to, like, try to interpret it. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Thanks, babe. And so, so I'm like, all right. Now, what, what, should, what should we do if we're a believer? We have this thought in our head about what our faith looks like, about what we think the Bible says, and somebody comes and challenges us on it. Instead of getting all upset and me and her not talking for a couple days and all the lameness that goes along with that, instead what I should do is go to the Word and actually read what the Bible says. And find out. Don't just assume something is right. Don't ever just take my word for it. You should be getting into the Bible yourself. That's why you have that note card, and it has scripture references on it. So you can go back and read them, all right? So I thought, let's go. Let's, let's look at this in context, and let's see if my wife is right or if I am right, and we will decide together tonight, okay? So this is what it says, Matthew 11. And, and so the 30, verse 30 is like the end of a whole thought. So I thought, let's read what comes before it. Uh, Because 30 is the infamous Ross is wrong scripture. Uh, So verse 28 says this. It says, come to me. Everybody say, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Verse 29 says, take my yoke. Everybody say, take my yoke. 
says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then verse 30 says, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Okay, so I'm looking at this, praying about it, thinking about my wife calling me out, and, uh, and I think I'm right. I think I'm right. Let me explain. Those two statements I had you repeat. Verse 28, come to me. And verse 29 says, take my yoke. Those are both action statements. Statements that mean you need to take action. Okay? What do I mean by that? It doesn't say in verse 28, I will come to you all who are weary and, and, and burdened and I will give you rest. It doesn't say that I will put my yoke upon you. It says that you have to take action to go to him. This is the hard part. The hard part isn't like the life that, that Jesus wants to have for you after you start life with him. No, the, the hard part is that come to me all you who are weary. You know how hard it is to come to the Lord when you're weary and you're tired out and you feel like God has been nowhere around and you feel like life is going to hell in a handbasket. It's hard to come to Jesus at that point in your life. So you've got to make the choice to go to him. And he has, he has rest for you. He has help for you. And then take my yoke. How many people live around Amish people? Raise your hands, everybody. We all live around Amish people. I don't know why every message I have lately brings up the Amish people, but it does. And so, uh, so if you, it, when it's talking about yokes, it's not talking about eggs, right? It's, it's talking about something that a farmer uses and what this thing is, is it goes or kind of goes around the front of the animal and it helps connect them to, say, like a buggy or the plow. We talked about the plow last week that the farmer would use. And, and what this thing does is it hooks them into to the apparatus and it also is part of helping with the steering of, of the animal so that the farmer has control. What, this, what Jesus is saying when he says, take my yoke, is he's saying, surrender yourself to me. Be willing to let me lead. Let me be, surrender control of your life to me. How many know that that's hard, right? So I think I'm right. I think my wife is wrong. I think what it's saying right here is that, that God has results in promises when we're obedient. And that's the next thing that you have to write down is that God's promises, I believe the Bible's pretty clear that God's promises really come after you choose to make the change to actually follow him. Follow him. And guys, I believe that Jesus wants your life to be easier I believe that God wants your life to be better. How many people would like a better life right now? It's all right. We all probably want a better life. But it really has to come from our obedience and from us being willing to make the change to become a Christ follower. And the Bible says a lot about change. So I want to take some time today to look at exactly what kinds of changes we need to make. We talked about how we need to change the way we talk or the way we think talked about how we need to change our actions, but I don't, those are like big like umbrella thoughts. I want to talk about specifics. What does the Bible say we actually specifically need to change in our life, okay? And, uh, and so I want to start this out by saying this. If you want to change, you have to change your focus. Everybody say focus. You have to change your focus. I want to read a scripture to you that talks about changing your focus, and it's found in Colossians. Uh, chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 1. So this is what it says. It says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2 says, Set your minds on thing, things above, not on earthly things. So 
This very clearly states that you are supposed to change your focus from things on earth or earthly things and turn your focus and focus on God. And then it says in verse 3, it says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God, which is another way or their way of saying you're saved. Your sins, your past, by the way, is dead because Jesus took your sins to the cross. You don't have to be owned by it anymore. You're saved. And then in verse 4 it says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So this is cool. This thing says... Change your focus to put it on God because why? One, you've been saved. And then verse 4 there talks about how when Christ returns, you'll return with him in glory because that's talking about your future. That's talking about where God wants you to be. Okay, so focus changes everything. So uh, then it continues. I love this. It continues to tell us exactly what needs to change. So we're going to do a little uh, exercise here. Everybody, if you have your note uh, paper with you, uh, you need to grab a pen. Make sure you have a pen. And if you're one of those people who are like, I never fill out the notes, I don't care. Get a pen now. And, uh, and get it in your hands. <laughs> Look at all the people moving. All of you who are moving, don't take notes. <laughs> Thank you for getting pens now or pencils. Okay, so we're going to do this activity. I'm going to read this next scripture to you, and it, it, it has some lists in it. And as we go through the list, every time you hear something that you know you need to work on, I want you to put a check mark on your paper. Okay, and you should just do it right next to the scripture reference there where, where it says Colossians 3, 5 through 10, because that's where this is at. And you don't have to circle anything. You don't have to go look at I'm a sinner to your neighbor. They're going to put check marks on there too. But what I want you to do is I want you to put check marks, and then I want you later to go back to the Scripture. That's why you're writing it next to the Scripture reference, and, and reread it to remind yourself of the ones you put check marks down for. So I'm going to read it. You guys all got your pens. You got your paper out. You're going to put check marks as fast as you can as I go, and, and we're going we're gonna to see how many check marks you have. We'll do a raise of hands after. No, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. We're not going to do that. So here it is, Colossians 3.5. You guys ready? Everybody say ready. All right. So it says this, it says, put to death, therefore, which means like put to death means stop, uh, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Here they are. Get ready to check mark. Sexual immorality, check. impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Then it says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, but in, uh, in the life you once lived. Okay, so everybody good? It's behind, it, let's, let's put that one, verse five back up on the screen behind me, please. Verse 5. Is it behind me, please? That's 6. There it is. All right. Look through the list one more time. Make sure you got the right amount of check marks on your paper. Okay. Now we're going to go to verse 8 because we're not done. There's more. Yay. Verse 8 says, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Here we go. Anger, rage, malice, slander, which is talking about somebody behind their back, negative things, maybe not true things. Check, 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 okay? And then this one, which so many of you will have to check, filthy language. Check, 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 right? <coughs> filthy language from your lips. Okay, verse, verse 9, here's another one. Do not lie. Check, 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 right? Um, do not lie to each other since you, have ta- listen, since you have taken off your old self and its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Okay, so I'm sure most of you have at least one check on your piece of paper. If you ha- have put a check mark down for every single one of those things, my office hours are Monday through Thursday, and I'd be happy to meet with you anytime. <laughs> I'm just playing. 
But really, if you want to meet, I'm here. Uh, <laughs> on the flip side, if you, if you did not put a single check mark down, um, I have another exercise for you right in this moment. Uh, I'm going to sit in the front row, and you're going to teach the rest of the message to the church. <laughs> and you're going to counsel me. My office hours are Monday to Thursday. So uh, I'm not doing this. I didn't do this to make you feel bad. I'm, I did this... Maybe to just help us all realize that we all have areas we need to work on in our lives. And I didn't do that to make you feel like, well, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I'm not a good enough believer. Maybe I'm not. Guys, I want to read verse 9 again. It says, do not lie to each other. Since you have, past tense, taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. This, This scripture, this letter was to a church full of people who had already made Jesus Lord. People who were already Christ followers, but they weren't seeing the results of God in their life. And so the writer, they, they, they write questions and the writer responds. And he says, you know, if you want to see results, you got to work on these areas. If you, want to see, if you want to see God results in your life, you can't have these things pulling at your focus. You need to change your focus. And... and I, I think it's interesting. I don't know if you noticed, but in these lists, the first list had to do with changing your actions. The, the second list had to do with mainly your words and your thoughts. What a coincidence, right? I didn't plan that. I picked the scripture this week to, to put into my message. Yet the last two weeks, I taught on changing your actions and changing your words. I don't think that's a coincidence. But what I love about scripture, if you really spend time to read it, is that it doesn't usually stop there. Whenever you find lists like this of things that need to change in your life, almost always in the Bible you find Scripture shortly after that that explains how to do it. We know what now. You've got check marks on your paper, right? We know what we need to change, but how do we do it? And so two verses later, it explains really how you're supposed to do it. So let's read it. In verse 12 it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, this is what you need to do, clothe yourself with compassion Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then it says, bear with each other and forgive one another. Guys, could you imagine if we would be people who were compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient, and forgiving, how we wouldn't struggle with so many of those other things all the time. But we, but we got to change our focus. we got to change the way that we live. It says that, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So we're instructed to replace our bad actions or, or sin or whatever, you know, those other things, however you want to categorize those other things in the list, with these things. And this, I, have, I don't know if you've ever thought this, but this, this gives me some answers personally. Because there's some things in the Bible that I read that, that are like instructions from the Lord that I think, that's impossible. How in the world would I ever do that? You know that scripture that says if somebody slaps you in the face, on one side of your face, you should do what? <laughs> Turn the other cheek? What? Like, you come here, try to slap me in the face. <laughs> try the first time. We'll see how that works out for you. Right? This is not the way that we live. We don't, we don't turn the other cheek. I, uh, at our house, you know, my, my kids are, I told you last week, are Lego crazy. And, and so my one son, Luke, he's got this really cool helicopter that he's built. 
And, you know, it was this whole kit. It was like the biggest one he ever had. And it sits on his little nightstand. And he looks at it every night and, like, talks about it. And Owen, our four-year-old, it's, he thinks it's like the coolest thing ever. And so he, on a regular basis, takes it off of, of the nightstand. And then what's he do with it? He drops it. And it breaks into a billion pieces. Because we all know that's how many pieces there are in every Lego set. Do you think that Luke goes, here, Owen, smash my other one, will you? No, he doesn't do that. It's like a war erupts in the room, and people are crying, and, and there's blood, and there's, it's like, what is happening at my house right now? Like we, and I look at the boys, and I think, this is society. Man, when somebody wrongs us, it's like we are, we are not a society of forgiveness. We're a society of, of revenge and vengeance. And, and we, we, we don't do what this says. I'll, let me read you that scripture that, about the slapping in the face. Matthew 5, this is Jesus himself. He says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, which is really still the way most people live, right? And he says in verse 39, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anybody wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Do you realize how hard that would really be? And maybe you do. Maybe you've been in that situation. Do you realize how hard that would really be? But you see, when your focus changes, you set your focus on the Lord and His instruction, it becomes more second nature to do this last part of the scripture than to do the first. It becomes more second nature to be compassionate and kind, have humility gentleness and patience and forgiveness with people. You, you see, it becomes easy to, to be a Christ follower when your focus is to honor God. I got to tell you a story, and then I'll wrap this thing up, because I like telling stories, you know. that. So, uh, as many of you know, because I talk about it, um, I like to work out. I work out with Pastor Dom. I call him, you, you know, it's not even funny anymore, but I, my nickname for him is the Mini Hulk because he's like this tall. And, but he's like, ah, you know. And <laughs> so anyway, we've been working out for a long time. I've been working out, um, I believe now, it's for five years, I've worked out pretty much without missing three times a week. And, you know, I've seen some results. You know, there's that, uh, that scripture in the Bible. I think I used it last week that says, you know, there's those people who look at themselves in the mirror and when they walk away, they forget who they are. I don't forget who I am when I look in the mirror. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Well, I'm not joking. No. And, but, you know, I, then, like, I, I've gotten myself in probably the best shape of my life. Uh, but then I look at, like, there's some people out there who are just like, Oh, like ripped, you know, like six-pack abs and all that stuff, and all I think is cake. <laughs> I love cake. I mean, and I, and I would love to look like those people in the magazines, but then I just, like in my head, I just think cake, right? And, and so, I mean, I love cake. Any kind of cake, I will eat it. We, my, uncle had a, well, my uncle had a funeral. My uncle died last week. <laughs> one, of my, one of my great uncles died, and they, there was so much cake. I had like five pieces of cake. It was, it was the highlight of the day. And uh, he's a great man. He's in heaven. It's all right. He loves people, too, like Jesus loves people. <laughs> but uh, I love weddings. I'm, 
I'm a pastor. I love doing weddings. I'll do your weddings, but you got to have a certain kind of cake. You got to have a good cake. I love cake at weddings. I like I eat cake. I won't leave a wedding until after the cake is served. A lot of times at weddings, I'll eat a piece of cake and then I will take cake home with me um, so that I can eat it later. And I tell them it's for my kids, which is a lie. Check mark. That was one of the things on the. Um, I don't care. I go to weddings where there's not a whole lot of cake or it's just cupcakes. I still take extras for myself because nobody's going to stop the pastor, right? <laughs> Who's going to tell the pastor to stop? Nobody. <laughs> so anyway, you know, I'd, I'd love to be, you know, ah, ripped, but, uh, but cake. And, uh, and so, but anyway, I'm telling you this, it's taken a lot of time to do it. Um, I've got this sister, and you've heard me talk about her her before. My youngest sister, uh, she's just jacked. She's like crazy in shape. She's a professional skydiver. She just quit her job to uh, become a full-time firefighter. She had to do the qualifications where she had to carry like a 200-pound dummy up 17 flights of stairs, and she beat everybody in the whole academy doing it, even the guys. She was faster than the guys. Uh, She was an MMA fighter. When I used to go home to visit my family, she would like come around the corner and like kick me in the chest knock my wind out and then just stand on me like she like a tr- like triumphantly she you know she's got like a line down the middle of her body and half her body is tattoos and that freaks my parents out and uh, and so she's just she's kind of a freak and well, in a good way in a good way she's awesome and uh, but man this girl is one of the most fit people I've ever met in my entire life she went to after high school she went to do the the two-week training camp to go to West Point. She was in a group of people to potentially go do that, and they have to do like a week of hell week while they're there. And the very last day, they have to run like two miles in the ocean, waist deep in a full sweatsuit, so it soaks up all the water and it's heavy. And after that, at the very end of a whole week of of this like hell, they have to, in the sand, do as many push-ups as they could do. She beat every person out of the 60 people who were there, guys and girls, doing doing push-ups. One day she was asked to see how many pull-ups she could do. She, she did 47 without stopping. Have you ever tried to do one? <laughs> I've been working out for five years. If I get to 12, it's a hallelujah day. Okay. She's a machine. She's a machine. And I, I hope she listens to the podcast because she'll think it's hilarious. And she'll go, yep. So anyway, for a number of years... We, we spent, when we'd spend time with her, I noticed she only ate one thing, literally, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, one thing, can of tuna fish with a skirt, squirt of mustard in it, mix it up, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, mmm, I'm like, that's disgusting, she's like, no, it's actually pretty good, I was like, no, it's not, <laughs> but she would eat that every day, and that was it, I mean, sometimes she'd eat two if she was really binging, you know, like, and this was, this is what she ate. She's in incredible shape, all this stuff. So we were at a family wedding, and it's time for dinner. She reaches in her purse. Like, here, like family wedding, you're supposed to eat, right? Cake. And she pulls out her can of tuna fish and a little mustard packet that she stole from a gas station. And she, she sits there. We're all eating this amazing food. She's eating tuna fish. And I'm like, Carly, what is wrong with you? She's like, Nothing. And then the cake comes around. It's like, Carly, what's the cake? She's like, no. And I said, I said to her, I said, done, done that. 
doesn't it bother you? I mean, you've been at dad's house, you know, or our parents' house for the last couple of days, and he makes these huge breakfasts. You sit there with tuna fish and eat it at the table. Like, doesn't, aren't you like, all I want to do is eat that food? Isn't it crazy? Aren't you craving to eat something else? She goes, no, I don't even think about it. It doesn't even phase me. It doesn't even bother me. I said, how can you do that? And she says this. She says, well, Ross, I know who I want to be. I know who I want to be. If I want to be that person, I got to make certain choices to be that person. So who do you want to be? I just took at least 10 minutes to tell a story, and the hook took like five seconds. Just wanted to point that out. Who do you want to be? Because if what you want to be is the person that God wants you to be, if you want to live the future that he has for you, at some point in your life, you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice to choose to live God's way. And it's not always easy. You see, what happens over time is that when you wake up in the morning, tomorrow morning, and you make this choice to follow God instead of following your own thoughts, to change the way you think, to change the way you talk, to change the way you act. At first, yeah, it's hard. But as you begin to do this on a regular basis, you start to wake up in the morning, and, and it's not hard anymore. Christianity can be easy. Being a Christ follower can be easy. The initial steps into it, making the changes, adjusting the course of your life to line up with what God wants it to look like, that's the hard part. But once you, once you get into that life and you begin to wake up every day, it becomes second nature. You don't have to think about it anymore. You wake up and you go, okay, God, what are we doing today? What's, what's the plan, what's the plan for, for my life today? God, I'll, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do because I know who I want to be. I don't want to be this, this person who's stuck in the past anymore. I don't want to be defined by my anxieties and fears because of abuse that I faced. I don't want it to be all about my abilities and the things that I can do. I just want it to be about you. That's what Paul said when he was talking to the Philippians on week one that we talked about this thing. And that's what we need to say today when we're talking to ourselves. Is God, I just I want to do what you want me to do. And I want to, want to be the person that you want me to be. And when we can figure that out, when we can change our focus from focusing on what we think to focusing on what God wants and thinks for us, everything can change. But we got to change where we're looking. we got to change our focus. we got to replace those things with the things God says in Colossians. So a couple, uh, couple months ago, maybe October, Pastor Paul told me that he had this great analogy. He's like, man, I got this great, this great analogy I'm going to use. One of these days I'm going to uh, write a message for it, and, and one of the Sundays that you're gone, either on a vacation or speaking somewhere, whatever, um, I'll, I'll fill in for you, and I'll do it. It's just a great analogy. And I went, oh, yeah, Paul, what is that analogy? And he told me, which was a bad choice, because I'm going to steal it. Of course, he knows I'm going to steal it, because I asked him if I could, but... Uh, when we actually started putting together the plan for this series, he goes, you're going to take my analogy, aren't you? And I was like, no, I don't have to. He said, yeah, go for it. So I'm going to today. So this is it. Do you know why the rearview mirror in a car is smaller than the windshield? It's because what's behind you doesn't really matter anymore. 
because you're not supposed to focus on what's behind you. It's in the past. Now, I mean, there's a mirror there so you can see behind you. What matters is what's in front of you. You can't go back. You can't go change those things. You can't get back there. You can wish all day that that would be different. You can wish that that hadn't happened to you or you wouldn't have made that decision. But you can't go back, so why spend all your time looking at it? You know, if you had been taught to drive a car by doing nothing but staring at the rearview mirror, eventually you're going to crash. And it's going to hurt, and it's going to be painful, and you're going to be angry. You go, why did, why, did that, why did nobody tell me that the windshield was so big? I could have been looking out the windshield the whole time. But instead, I was looking at this little mirror at the things behind me, and now I crash, and everybody's hurt. So I would be amiss if I didn't tell you tonight. The windshield's a lot bigger than the rearview mirror. Stop spending all your time looking in the rearview mirror. Let go of the past. Look towards the future. God has a good one for you, even if you don't believe me right now. He has one for you. And I'll say this, and I'll risk ruining my entire series on it right now. There are mirrors that look backward in your car. There's one in the middle on, on the windshield, and there's your side view mirrors. Why? Because sometimes it's important to be able to see. It doesn't mean, guys, that your past has to own you and control what your future looks like. But if, you have got, if, you, if you're in a place where you need to change lanes, it's probably good to look in that mirror to make sure you're, there's not an accident waiting for you right next to you, right? So every now and then, to be able to remember what was in the past, to help you course correct successfully, is okay. But we can't be owned by the things that are behind us. And at some point in your life, your focus needs to start looking towards the future. You can do this. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to live spending all your time dealing with what happened in your past. Let's, let's, I think, together make a choice to look forward to what God has for us and to let those things go. Let it go. So that, he can, so that he can lead us into our future. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for every person here. And I thank you that you have a plan for their lives. God, sometimes, sometimes when I do this prayer at the end, I feel like I'm a broken record because I, I say the same thing. Thank you for these people here. And thank you that you have a great plan and future for their lives. But God, if that's what I need to be, if I need to be a broken record that repeats that until people believe that, I will be that. God, I ask that tonight there's some people here who have had a moment of realizing that they need to change, that their focus has not been on you, but that it needs to be, that, that they've been focused on all these other things that have been disrupting the path to their future. And God, I pray that we all can get to the place where your, your yoke is easy and your burden is light and where you have rest for us and where our walk with you is not one that takes constant, difficult effort, Lord, but instead is full of love and joy and peace. Well, God, I pray that today some people will be motivated to step through some of those difficult things in order to put their focus on you. If you're here tonight with everybody's eyes closed, I always want to give the opportunity for people, if they want to make Jesus Lord, to do that. 
And so if you're here and you're like, I know I need to get on the path with God. I know, like tonight, I, I want to start this new life. I want to have a purpose. I don't want to live in my past anymore. Really what you need to do is you need to make Jesus Lord of your life. That scripture that we read about how we need to put on the yoke, the yoke that, that allows God to be in control, to submit to him, that's, that's essentially you making Jesus Lord. But it's not just about a prayer that you pray tonight. It's about waking up tomorrow and actually taking steps in the direction that God would want you to take and not just doing the same thing you've always been doing. So if that's you, you want to make Jesus Lord, you want to start this life with God and start moving in God's direction, with everybody's eyes closed right where you're at, if that's you, you want to make Jesus Lord, just lift your hand up. Is there anybody that knows they want to make that decision tonight? Okay. I don't see any hands in here tonight, but if you want to recommit your life to the Lord, maybe, maybe it's not a first-time thing, we're going to say the prayer anyway. And if you're watching online, God will meet you right where you are, you're at right now. You don't have to be in this room for that to happen. So we're going to pray. And these words that you say are you dedicating yourself to the Lord. And then tomorrow, you wake up and you walk out the change. Say these words with me. Say, Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you for forgiveness. I don't want to live my way anymore. I want to live for you. Today I choose to make Jesus Lord of my life. I choose to live for you from this day on. Lead me into the life you created for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, see you out there. Amen, amen. You know, as Pastor Ross was talking in the message this morning, I got thinking about something. A few years ago, um, I had taken heard a message, and it was a pastor, and he was saying, before he got up every morning, you guys know when the alarm goes off, you know, you, you hit it, but you really don't open your eyes yet. You're just kind of laying there, and your eyes are still closed. And he was saying that in that moment of time, before he opens his eyes, before he gets distracted at all by the day, he says one little prayer. Holy Spirit, come, and then he'll follow it up. He started doing it, and the way I started doing it too was, Holy Spirit, come and show me what I can do better for Tina that day. How can I make Tina's life better? That was the way I started. Then it got into a little bit more. Holy Spirit, come and show me what you want me to do today. Well, I got thinking about Pastor Ross's about change and how we get that and how we ask the Holy Spirit to help us. And you guys know Jesus said he died so the Holy Spirit could come, correct? And so that's what he's there for. Don't try and change on your own. Use the Holy Spirit. Wake up in the morning. Before you open your eyes, invite him in and ask him, what do I need to change? And then ask him for the help to change. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. We're going to go ahead and take up the offering. We'll bow our heads. We'll pray over it. And then we'll have a short video to follow. So let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we just praise you. We thank you so much for your love and just for your kindness. Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you give us and that opportunity we have to come back in here. And Lord, we pray that you would take it outside our doors, Lord, to help people, to show them the love of Christ, and Lord, to fill your kingdom. That's what our goal is, Lord. And we pray that you would just bless the giver also, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A senior in college, Lindsay was studying to become an elementary school teacher. A few weeks before graduation, she began to feel off. 
A pregnancy test she took in the house she shared with four roommates confirmed what she was most afraid to learn. In a single moment, the plans she had for her life seemed to fall apart. She and her boyfriend had been together for only a few months, and Lindsay didn't think he was invested enough to stay with her through an unplanned pregnancy. She imagined the horrified looks on her parents' faces after they'd heard the news, and she had no 